This week on Go Chuck Yourself, we're going to be talking about Season 4, Episode 5, Chuck versus the Couch Lock. That's a pretty big lock. I've, I've seen bike locks, but a couch lock? Nobody's stealing this couch. Welcome, welcome. Have a seat on your couch. Maybe your couch is locked. Maybe it's unlocked. I certainly hope that you don't have couch lock. My name is Chris Gillespie. You are listening to Go Chuck Yourself. This is the podcast where we go episode by episode into the television program Chuck and get all up into everything you would ever want to know about Chuck and then some. You didn't leave any space for me to say my name and I kind of feel like weird interrupting you to insert it, but uh, my name is Aaron Arada. I am also here. I couch locked you right out of that. Wow. Stay away from my couch, Aaron. We're using so many. We're, we're going to get a lot of use out of this phrase that I had never heard of before. Right. Even though we've both already seen the show at some point in the past, we I was totally unfamiliar with the idea. Yeah, of couch I lock. probably just was like, even though I was like 21 years old, I was, I was watching this. I probably was just like, that's just like an adult phrase that I don't know. That's kind of how I felt <laughs> this week. I was like, oh, this is going to be another episode of Chuck where they use language, like language commonly that I don't understand. Is it because I'm not cool enough? Maybe I'm just too wholesome that I don't know anything about uh, drug culture or the whatever this couch lock phenomenon appears if to you, be. Uh, if but, you, our listeners, know about couch lock, hit us up. Let us know. Tell us all about it. I know about sleep paralysis. That was kind of a my frame of that's reference. Kind, for I mean, that's kind of lock. like couch lock. It's like bed bed lock. And your body is yeah. locked. Yeah. Not to be confused with wedlock. <laughs> it is October as we are recording this. And Aaron Halloween is just around the corner. And to celebrate this Halloween, uh, I will be partaking in something that will advance me as a reader, as a uh, a thinker, and as a fan of Chuck. I will, be particip- I will be engaging with a text that the creators of Chuck have also engaged with. Okay. Yes, that's right. I'm finally referring to the book that I just purchased. I'm going to be reading Dune. Wow, that's exciting. I'm going to be this guy now. I'm going to read the, Dune. Because the movie's coming out. The new, the remake is coming out soon. Right. Um, I have never re- read Dune before, but you can see on the back that there's the sandworms. Hell yeah. From Chuck versus the sandworm. Does it have, so does it have gold I, pages or is that just the light there? Yeah, it does. Check it Hell out. Hell yeah, this is cool. Dune is cool. Dune is cool. I don't know anything about it. I saw the movie trailer and I said, maybe I'll read that book. Um, so I always thought Dune was really big and I was always intimidated uh-huh. by it, but it doesn't seem that big. It seems like a no, it doesn't seem book. that big. I always got it confused with um, Discworld, which I know has like a bazillion. Are there are there sequels Discworld. to Dune or is it just one Dune? That's the Terry Pratchett book. Um, there are sequels to Dune as far as I know. So maybe there's a lot of sequels and that's why I always also thought it was big. Doesn't yeah. look that big, but we'll open no. it up. Is the is the font really small? No, no, it's pretty normal. It's like size. a Bible. No, that looks yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Well, uh, keep us updated. Let us know if if you like Dune. Yeah, I'll be going on my Dune journey. Reading books. You got to hop in your Dune buggy to, for your with, Dune journey with Paul. The thing that means the main character's name is Paul, which is a weirdly bland, unassuming name for a sci-fi epic that takes place in another universe galaxy i'm not positive okay i didn't paul. i don't know anything about dune i know that there's worms something with spice 
Uh-huh. I didn't even see the trailer. Actually, I did see the trailer. I went to see Tenant at a drive-in um, last weekend, and I think there was a trailer for Dune. And I said, "Ah, Dune," and then that was kind of it. How do you Dune? How do you Dune? Is Timothy Chalamet in that? Yeah, I think he's Paul. He's Paul. Ah, oh, how yeah. exciting! Okay, now I gotta see it. Classic Love Paul. Paul. How is a uh, Tenant? A little confusing. Okay. I I really wanted to be like. Because I've, I've heard a lot of reviews say that it's confusing. And, of course, I wanted to be contrarian and be like, oh, I understood everything that was going on. But I didn't really. Um, it seems like something that would be um, I, I kind of felt this way about Inception, too, that I could acknowledge as a masterpiece on a later viewing, which I like have a context for what's going on. But the first time seeing it, it was just like a lot. Um, but great performances. And there was a woman like he did manage to have a woman who like had like kind of an arc. So that's he's he's making progress here in his old age with Elizabeth Debicki. She's great. She's she's tall. She's great. She's a good actress. Well, something else that you really it takes two viewings to really appreciate the artistry and mastery of uh, storytelling, I think, is Chuck versus the couch lock. I think that's true. Yes. Great transition. Chuck versus the couch lock is basically a Chris Nolan movie. Yeah, I, I could see it. Same level of attention to detail, the same level of like special effects. Same performances. Exact same Michael, performances. Uh, Michael Caine. Michael Caine is there uh, inexplicably. He's like in one scene and you're like, why did he do this? And then but he's just great. So you're you're happy. He's is there. Michael Caine in Tenet, too. Yeah, he's there for one scene. Yeah, he's he like sips tea at a table. It's pretty much Michael Caine. We had to burn down the whole jungle just to get him. Some people just want to see the world burn. <laughs> that was it started out how- pretty good and then it kind of like <laughs> was less good. Morgan Freeman. No one was meant to have this much power, Bruce. Is that Morgan Freeman? Sure. <laughs> okay, cool. Swear to me. All right, that was pretty good. Me. Yeah, that's pretty good. My Batman's good. I can always go back to Batman. You could be on speed. Well, uh, Robert, Robert Pattinson was in Tenant. He's Batman. He's Batman now. He's, he's Batman. The Batman. So that's this has been our our little corner. And uh, now (laughs) now it's time for Chuck. Let's get into what you guys are here for. You're here for the couch lock and not just any normal couch. (laughs) I mean, I guess it is a normal couch (laughs) what he ends up being on. It's not a special couch. Yeah. It's not like the home theater room couch. It's like just a couch. No, it's just a regular couch. Yeah, it's like it's nice. Probably got it from like Bob's Furniture or like maybe like a living spaces. There you go. So we open on a team of operatives. They're breaking into some kind of enemy base in Iran. There is, um, I have not really, um, all, all their names are based on computers. Chris Chris revealed that to me. There's a Packard, there's a TI, and there's a Macintosh. But I just refer to them, um, other, with the exception of Macintosh, I refer to them as either the actors they are or the actors they remind me of. So just, just warning you that that's about to happen. So there's one guy. Do you want to stick with the the actors that they are? Or are we just going to go with those names? No, it's it's just going to be really confusing. Just just bear with me, Chris. Okay, sounds good. So there's Packard. Yeah. He is a Matthew McConaughey type. So I'm going to be referring to him as Matthew McConaughey what? throughout my notes. He looks kind of he's he's just like You he, think Eric Roberts looks like Matthew McConaughey? I don't know that he looks like him, but just like this character has a Matthew McConaughey vibe. Like if he said all right, all right, all right as he was like Chaining up Chuck and Sarah. I wouldn't be surprised, would you? I guess a little bit. I guess continue. <laughs> There's um, a Dave Batista type who is actually Dave Batista. He's <laughs> T.I. 
Um, but not then, to be confused with the rapper T.I. That was no, no, no. It's I not, was a little confused because I was like, is it Dave Batista or is it T.I.? But it was it was just his name is T.I. Um, and then there's a sort of snivelly electronics guy whose name is Macintosh. Is this an actor whose name you want to throw out there for me? Is he um, someone is the actor's name is Joel David Moore. And I liked he's him. Apparently- He's apparently friends with Zachary Levi. There's these three guys. They're breaking into an enemy base in Iran. And who is their team leader? But one John Casey. He doesn't have a computer name. The metaphor kind of falls apart, but that's fine. It's Casey. We're excited (laughs) to see him. So once the team gets rid of the bad guys in a shootout, they open a door and find a whole bunch of gold hidden away. Their orders are to explode the whole base, including the gold. But the team, other than Casey, wants to steal it for themselves. Casey has a horrid line where he talks about how they were ordered to do this by the president and he refers to President Clinton and then says, well, I may not like him or his mouthy wife. And I got very upset. It was just too soon. Not good. Um, Not a fan. So the Matthew McConaughey type pulls out his gun on Casey so he can take the gold. The others agree and pull their guns on Casey, too. Casey is very betrayed. He puts down his weapon, but then he has a hidden knife and he throws it at the lights and takes everyone out. It's a fight. It's a three-on-one fight, and he he does it. He, he even Dave Batista. He knocks them all down. He locks the gold up, uses his palm print to engage the explosives, and then says he's taken the guys into prison. We move to the future, or I guess the present, uh, at the Bymore, where Jeff and Lester are approaching Casey to invite him to hang out like in the old days. They call him C Note, which I thought was a pretty fun nickname. Casey is not really into anything that they're laying down, including Magic the Gathering. Nearby, Alex visits the Bymore to surprise Morgan. She tries to kiss him, but Morgan is a little weird because Casey is right nearby. He has not told Casey yet and seems a little reluctant to do so, which kind of uh, makes Alex uh, understanding because her dad is a little threatening, but also she's kind of concerned. She's kind of confused. She kind of wants Morgan to tell her dad. I understand her point of view here, but she's also like... I. I'm a little on the fence. I like the idea of this relationship, but it seems like they're getting a lot more mileage out of like, ooh, Kay, like Morgan's dating Casey's daughter than like actual like chemistry between Morgan and Alex. So I'm going to mm-hmm. see what happens in the future. But the point of this is that uh, Morgan's afraid to tell Casey and uh, Alex is a little bit not okay with that. I did note that in the background, I'm not sure what exactly is playing, but there is footage of camels somewhere in the desert um, on the TVs in the background in the Bymore. So setting setting the stage for their return to Iran later. One could say that there are dunes on the television. Ah, wow. Yeah, you're right. Maybe it's, it's Dune. Maybe together. they're watching Dune. So we missed the scene where Morgan told Chuck about Alex, but he apparently did because they start talking about it once Alex leaves. Chuck asks Morgan about his plans to tell Casey and tells Morgan to be careful as they watch Casey destroy a Telzon. It was, that was kind of funny. I like that. Chuck needs Morgan to cover for him while he goes down to Castle to look at the Costa Graven files on Agent Frost. And there's, there's a lot of mentions of like covering for Chuck and Casey. And I, I guess it's about like their covers that like they should be at the store so they don't want anybody to be suspicious. But like considering that the CIA now like owns and manages the buy more I, and Morgan is the boss. I don't know who they're covering. Like, I guess for like the other employees, they're saying that Casey and Chuck are off on a mission or off on a install. Were you confused by this? Yeah, a little bit because I was just. I guess it's just Jeff and Lester, but uh, yeah. they don't even like the past this episode, the past episode, they even they haven't even had um like Greta's working in the Bymore. Oh, like that's the Bymore true, yeah. is seeming 
very not spy-like. It yeah. seems like a lot of, I don't they know if forgot all the spies, about that. Yeah. <laughs> they forgot about it or all the spies have just kind of like, we're just there to help get the store set up. And now yeah. they, now that's running, it's kind of under control. Of yeah. Chuck and Morgan, I guess. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, to your point, like who cares where Chuck and Casey are? Like who's going to be asking about it? Yeah. Anyone who's asking doesn't have any actual power. So exactly. Down in Castle, Chuck and Sarah can't find anything in the files on Chuck's mom. They do learn that Volkov has a private prison system and some of the people in there were Casey's old team or maybe they work for the private system. I was a little bit confused, but the point is that Casey's old team are now Volkov agents. Chuck flashes and realizes that they are also connected to Casey. They question Casey about his former team and find out that Casey had them court-martialed, but they escaped. And they've tried to get back to Casey at various points in the past to try to, I guess, get his handprint so they can get back to the gold, but Casey always takes them down. Chuck makes a comment about the team members and Casey being sort of like the A-team, and Casey says, I was the A-team. And to this point, I would like to say that I think that this was a deliberate reference because as I, I'm not super familiar with the A-team, but as I look into things about the A-team, it seems that you have a team of four men. Uh, you have Templeton Faceman Peck, sometimes known as Face. Um, I think he is the the Casey, I guess. Okay. I guess Casey is the face. Maybe sure. Facey. Maybe that's what it is. Ah. Casey, Facey, mm-hmm. maybe. Then you have HM or Howlin' Mad Murdoch. Uh, who looks kind of like a, a nerdier kind of guy. So I maybe he's probably like the uh, the Macintosh of this okay, scenario. Yep. Kind of looks like him. Mm-hmm. And then you, of course, have uh, Mr. T, who plays uh, Bosco. And Bosco is commonly known as B.A. Uh, for bad attitude. So uh, B.A., kind of like I.T. He's kind of like the muscle of the group. Okay, yep. Like Dave Batista. And then you have um, their leader, who is John Hannibal Smith, who's kind of like... Uh, older guy with gray hair who's tan, so kind of like the Eric Roberts Packard kind of like Matthew character. McConaughey. You and your face mm-hmm. blindness. He doesn't look like Matthew McConaughey. I do. I think I do have Even face blindness. Even if this episode looks a lot like the movie Sahara because they're in a desert. That's, yeah, maybe that's what it was. I don't know. But, like, Casey's the leader, right? Like, is is Casey the leader He seems to be the... Back in the 90s, it seemed like he was the leader, but okay. now it seems in the vacuum that Casey ah, is left. I it see. seems that yes. Packard has... Uh, risen to control that makes sense so casey makes a comment that the only way that he can get these three men back to la is with his funeral chuck takes that not as just a throwaway line but as an actual plan and decides to fake casey's death and hold a fake funeral so that the um the guys will come back and try to cut off his hand and steal it He brings this plan to Beckman, who's a little bit incredulous, but agrees because the plan is so thorough. She dismisses the rest of the team, but asks to talk to Chuck alone. She says that she's impressed with him because he's put duty above emotion, and now he's putting one of his friends and teammates at risk. It's honestly like one of those conversations where the person you're talking to says exactly the wrong things and hits all your pressure points because this makes Chuck very stressed out, and he immediately starts having a crisis. So back at Casey's apartment... Casey is preparing for death. There's no other way to put this. He puts on his old Navy uniform for him to wear to his funeral, um, and it's a little bit too tight, which I thought was funny. Chuck is all kind of nervous now. He tells Casey that Casey is able to back out, and that would be totally fine. Chuck wouldn't wouldn't judge him, but Casey is all for this mission. He's taking a drug called tetro, te- Tetrodotoxin, which is going to make him appear to be dead, 
um, make him be paralyzed. He can open his eyes. He will be able to feel it and hear and experience everything, but he won't be able to move his body. They're not sure how long the drug will last in his system since he has so much experience with truth serums and drugs and et cetera, et cetera, from his life as a spy. So they're giving him an extra vial in case he needs it. The only thing that they haven't accounted for is who's going to deliver the eulogy. I was a little bit worried that they were going to ask Alex to do it or that something was going to happen with Alex where she was going to think her dad was dead. But that that doesn't happen if you're uh, waiting with bated breath to find out if Alex is going to be sad. That's not what happens. Who's going to deliver the eulogy? It's Morgan. Chuck's plan is that Morgan will be able to spend the length of a eulogy saying nice things about Casey so he can get in his good graces before he confesses that he's been dating Casey's daughter. And Morgan agrees to do it. Before the funeral happens, Ellie and Devin head over to Chuck and Morgan's to announce that they're having a girl. It's pretty exciting news. As Morgan and Devin go off to drink champagne, Ellie tells Chuck that she's thought about it and she does actually want to know what happened to their mom. Chuck asks what changed her mind, and she says that finding out they're having a little girl made her wonder if her daughter is ever going to know her grandmother. Chuck tells Ellie that he's found a promising lead and he'll report back to her. At the funeral, Casey is in a coffin with his eyes closed. He looks pretty dead. But then he opens his eyes and glares at Morgan. That's something that he can still do. And in fact, he does do it many times as Morgan is delivering his eulogy. Alex calls Morgan to say that he's telling Casey today. He says that either... I, did, I was kind of unclear on Morgan's plan because I think it would have made a lot more sense for Morgan to tell Casey like after the mission is a success. But Morgan seems to be planning to do it like during his eulogy, which is a little bit odd and seems like a bad idea. But uh, that's that's his plan. Meanwhile, in the audience, Chuck points out to Sarah that the only people actually at the funeral are the agents who they invited to try to catch the former A-team. Chuck is a little sad about this. So I don't think this is how funerals usually work, but Morgan starts delivering the eulogy as people are still coming in and coming up to Casey's body to view it, which is like, is this like a wake? I don't, I don't really know what's going on here. But Macintosh arrives, he walks up to Casey and examines his body, you would think that's going to be it, but then he just jabs Casey with a pin, obviously checking if he's dead. Since Casey's drugged, he doesn't react, and Macintosh is satisfied. Then T.I. arrives. He's smoking a cigar, which you would think that you would know not to do that in a church, but he, he don't give a shit. He walks up to Casey and pulls back his uh, the sleeve of his uniform and sticks the cigar on him, burning him. Uh, Casey also doesn't react to this, so T.I. goes to sit down, apparently satisfied. Uh, upon seeing T.I. doing this to Casey, Chuck asks Sarah if they should spring their trap, but Sarah says that they need to wait for Packard to arrive. Fortunately, Packard uh, enters the chapel at this moment carrying an orchid, and he makes his way to Casey and places the orchid on Casey's body. Um, Chuck sees this and signals to Morgan to wrap up his long improvised eulogy, uh, which I was like, there's, I'm not interested enough to actually do this, but I was like, I wonder what the transcript of Morgan's eulogy would look like. <laughs> Because it was pretty crazy at points. Um, yeah, he was... I don't know. I Because Chuck's idea seemed to be, like, a genuinely good idea that Morgan uh -huh. just, like, compliment Casey for five minutes and then, like, is in Casey's good graces. But Morgan, like, I guess didn't put a lot of effort into it. He talks a lot about how Casey is handsome and how he has a big neck. Yeah, a big neck and big yeah. hands and how he's yeah. seen him, like, palm a watermelon before. <laughs> Like, yeah, so it's funny, really but it doesn't, stuff. like, that doesn't seem like it's gonna help. It's very, like, physically focused. I don't know. I feel like Morgan <laughs> could have talked about, like, nice things about how Casey's a good friend, how he's a good dad, but he doesn't do that. 
So Packard is lingering at Casey's side and it kind of looks like he's crying, but then he turns around and he reveals that he's laughing. He takes out his gun. So Chuck and Sarah take out theirs. All the secret agents spring into action and Packard, T.I. and McIntosh take the stage. Chuck tells them that they have all the exits surrounded, but Packard says all exits but one and then proceeds to use C4 explosives to create a diversion <laughs> and to sink Casey's casket down to the basement. Yeah, as you do. Uh, Chuck and Sarah approach the hole in the floor and see that Packard and the boys have taken the paralyzed Casey away from his casket. Packard and the boys. That sounds like a good band name. Packard and the boys. Yeah, like a good classic rock name. Yeah. Yeah, so Casey's paralyzed body is nowhere to be found. And I was very stressed out. I was like, that's not good. Yeah, no, that's bad. Uh, Decidedly bad. Back in Castle, Chuck beats himself up for suggesting that Casey should fake his own death. And, uh, you know, because that ended up getting Casey kidnapped. Chuck and Sarah are able to find Casey using a tracking device and immediately call on a SWAT team to retrieve him. The SWAT team closes in on Casey's location, which appears to be behind a dumpster. So they push the dumpster aside, uh, only to reveal a cat wearing Casey's tracker. It was I, I really like that. There's not, as we've established, there's not a lot of animals on Chuck. And it's always kind of exciting when you see one. Right. It was a good cat. I was thinking, you know, it was a very cute cat. What do you think we should name this cat moving forward? Oh, that's a good. um, Do we have like a John Casey pun? Like, um, I think that would be the natural. Yeah. Solution. Like, um, I mean, Catsy. John. Catsy. Pawn Catsy. Pawn Catsy. Pawn Catsy sounds good to me. Pawn Catsy. So if Pond Catsy has Casey's tracker, where's the actual human Casey? Mm. Cut to inside a warehouse where Packer, T.I., and McIntosh are standing around Casey's paralyzed body, discussing how they're going to cut off Casey's hand. McIntosh suggests that they use a surgical saw that he has in the other room. So all of them go to get it. Like, they, <laughs> yeah. apparently that's a three-person task. Don't you, uh, you and your closest friends, whenever you need a saw, you just all go together? Yeah, I think I have a saw in the other room and they don't even say like, oh, well, should one of us stay here? It's just a given that they have like this hive mind thing. Going well, they on. think he's dead. Don't they think he's dead? I guess so. Yeah. So it would be kind of weird for someone to guard a dead body. But you think that someone would just kind of like sit down and be like, I don't need to go in the other room. But anyhow, that's what they do. And that gives Casey a chance to like try to flex and see if he can regain feeling in his legs. He basically is willing himself out of paralysis. Yes. Um. Which is, once again, if anyone's familiar with sleep paralysis, this is a, I feel like I've been not in a similar situation, but I feel like I know when I'm like, I got to try to make my body move, but I can't. Um, they come back into the room with the saw. Casey has to go, you know, back to pretending to be dead. Um, the bad guys return with the saw and plug it in and are about to cut into Casey's arm when the doorbell rings. And Packard is very concerned about this, so much so that he tells McIntosh to stop. Maybe he's expecting a package. There's, He's very concerned about the doorbell. <laughs> An Amazon delivery, right. of course. Packages for Packard will be the first album by Packard and the Boys. <laughs> yeah, I'm into that. And the cover is them like, in kind of like a big UPS warehouse with like a bunch of packages and stuff. But oh, like, that's really good. They're yeah. kind of like relaxing. Like some of them's like laying on the conveyor belt. One of them has like a box on his head. Packard's just kind of standing in the middle. Do you want to stop doing Go Chuck Yourself and then just like fund a like 80s band i yeah absolutely that sounds like a, all right I think that's kind of what we've been building up to this whole time so all right well my name is aaron arado letting you know that <laughs> anything is possible bye so once again all of them go to the doorbell all of them must go to see who is at the front door 
uh, to inspect. Yeah, the everybody doorbell. makes fun of women having to go to the bathroom at the same time, but these these three guys they do everything together. <laughs> yes. Um, so back in Castle, Morgan asks Chuck if there's anything he can do to help, and Chuck says that Morgan can help by covering for Casey at the Biomore, uh, kind of like what we were talking about earlier by telling anyone yeah. asks who asks that Casey's out on a delivery. Morgan wishes he could do more, but he agrees. Casey, meanwhile, succeeds in getting control of his arms and legs and then rolls himself off the table, dropping his extra dosage of the paralysis drug and his wallet. The bad guys return. Apparently, Macintosh ordered a pizza and is now insisting on eating the pizza before they cut off Casey's arm. Um, yeah, why not? Which I, I think this is a good point. Like, I guess you wouldn't really, you'd lose your appetite after you cut off someone's Yeah, you'd arm. lose your appetite. You might have, like, some germs or blood or viscera on you. You might not want to get that on your pizza. Right. But to the same end, I would say, like, once you eat the pizza, I feel like everyone's going to get sleepy. So I feel like we better... That's we, true. We best use our hunger to power our focus. And then once yeah. we're done, we celebrate. You might enjoy it more after you've finished your task. Like, it's going to be hanging over your head right. as you're eating. Like, I usually like exactly. to just, like, finish everything, and then it's then it's dinner. Right. So if Aaron and I are ever tasked with removing one of your appendages, we will be waiting to eat until afterwards. We're going <laughs> to get Rest assured. Rest assured we will take your arm off first. Um, so Casey, like, runs around the corner. He's still kind of, like, wobbly. Um the rest of the guys come back and see that Casey's gone and they're like, you know, what happened to him? So then Casey leaps out from around the corner and knocks all of them out. Not before Packard sticks him though, with the extra dosage on the floor, Casey throws himself out of a window, landing onto a pile of garbage bags. And as he hobbles away from the building, Casey calls the buy more to say that he's been drugged and doesn't know how long he can stay conscious. Hopefully Casey's talking to Morgan or this week's Greta, but there is no Greta and Morgan is apparently not there. So he's talking to Jeff. Fortunately, Jeff is empathetic to Casey's problem and knows the exact alleyway that Casey's about to pass out into. So he rallies Lester and they head off to go rescue Casey. I thought this was nice. Chuck and Sarah trace Casey's cell signal to this alley only to find Casey's iPhone in the dumpster, but no Casey. Chuck sees the open window that Casey fell out of and tells Sarah that they need to look inside themselves. No time to wait for a SWAT team. But Casey's not inside the building. He's in the backseat of Jeff's car. Um, kind of looking like Weekend and Bernie's sort of. Jeff and Lester drive, commenting on how it's always the straight-laced ones that party the hardest when Morgan calls them to ask where the hell they are. Lester tells them that they had to pick up Casey because his install went sideways, since it seems that he's been hitting the, quote, OG Kush. And Jeff adds that Casey <laughs> has a bad case of, quote, couch lock, which explains the name of this episode to the uh, very much unhip Aaron and I. Uh, Morgan tells them to forget about bringing Casey to the Biomore and asks them to just drop him off at Chuck's, he and Chuck's apartment. Jeff and Lester are very non-committal about this and then they hang up. Morgan calls Chuck to tell them that Casey is with Jeff and Lester and Chuck is relieved until Chuck triggers some kind of motion sensor in the warehouse, like a laser. Um, Sarah uses some kind of smoke spray to reveal the lasers covering their path. She tells Chuck to stand still as she crawls underneath the lasers to find the control panel. She succeeds in finding the control panel and boy, she is not too pleased with what she finds, Aaron. No, she's not. She does give a shit in this case. Turns out if Chuck moves out of the laser, it will trigger four blocks of C4 to explode. Seems that the A team, or I guess in this case, the B team, um, <laughs> is really into using C4. Sarah says that she can bypass the circuit and defuse the bomb. Chuck apologizes to Sarah for letting his emotions um, 
for finding his mom get in the way of their mission. But Sarah tells him that he's being ridiculous and that Sarah and Casey are happy to help Chuck find his mom. Chuck is very appreciative of all of this and tells Sarah that he loves her. I didn't think that Chuck was, it didn't seem like his emotions were clouding his judgment in this episode. Yeah, this is a theme throughout the episode that he keeps bringing up. I feel like he feels insecure about having put Casey in harm's way, which I completely understand. Um, I think that they were trying to, like, when Chuck says, like, we don't have time to wait for the SWAT team, like, let's just go in. I feel like he's kind of apologizing for that. Like, they played that as, like, his, like, fear was getting in the way or something. But I didn't think it was clear enough. I kind of thought that was just him being, like, brave. I thought Sarah Mm -hmm. was impressed with it. But I think (laughs) that's part of the issue. I thought it showed growth on his end and that he was being confident in his problem-solving abilities, but... Nope. So now we have a declassified scene, courtesy of my DVD set. Uh, Jeff and Lester have brought Casey into Morgan and Chuck's apartment and are pampering him as he endures his couch lock by giving him a foot bath and a facial. Morgan asks them what they're doing, and Lester explains that this is the surefire way to snap anyone out of a drug-induced state. Morgan comments that all of this seems, you know, really relaxing, at which point Jeff gags Casey with a washcloth and Lester rips an electrical wire out of a nearby lamp. Lester puts the live wire into the footbath, shocking Casey. Oh my God. But all that happens is Casey's eyes light up and then he passes out. Morgan is incredulous and shouts that they could have killed him. But Lester says that he's fine because his heart's still beating. Jeff then adds that there's only one thing left to try. True love's kiss. So he bends <laughs> down to kiss Casey on the mouth. But Morgan pulls him away and tells him that they're done. And he ushers them to the door as Jeff says... You know, it's pretty sad that you don't believe in love. I like that scene. I kind of wish I had been in there. After a while, Casey comes back around enough to be responsive, but Morgan is still struggling to communicate with him. There's a knock at the door. Maybe it's the pizza man again. Um, Morgan can't move Casey, so he decides to put a stormtrooper helmet on his head to cover his face. And I was like, how can you? I know we talked about like, because there were like Mickey Mouse appeared at some point in a really early episode. Maybe this was before... Disney had bought Star Wars. I think it uh, may have been. But I was like, you can get away with just using a, a Stormtrooper helmet. Because what do they also have in the background? On that same table, they have a Stormtrooper helmet. They have a Boba Fett helmet. And then they have mm-hmm. a like Halo Master Chief helmet. So Yeah, I guess just just allowed to do that. Maybe there's different rules for like toys. Maybe that counts as like a toy. And it's, um, I don't know. I don't know, like copyright law for objects uh they're collectibles aaron they're not i'm toys. sorry i'm sorry condescending right. <laughs> hey you guys are gonna clean up your toys <laughs> i'm sorry i know better <laughs> um but you know casey looks pretty funny with the stormtrooper helmet on you know regardless of whether or not it is legal in terms of copyright yeah. um morgan opens the door to find alex Alex asks if she can come in, but Morgan says that his apartment is a mess because he had a Halo tournament the night before, so he'll talk to her outside. Things seem to be going well back at the warehouse with Chuck and Sarah because the lasers have powered down, but Sarah is concerned because she was not the one to do it. Packard walks around the corner and says that it was he who turned the lasers off, and Macintosh rolls up behind Sarah with a gun. Packard says that they've set the trap for Casey, but Chuck and Sarah are just as good. I, for one, was wondering where T.I. was, but turns out he's at the apartment complex looking for Casey's apartment. 
As you can imagine, this is not good because Alex and Morgan are also here having a discussion about Morgan's uh, non-talk with Casey about his feelings for Alex. Alex demands to know why Morgan didn't talk to Casey, and Morgan says, okay, we haven't done this in a while, but let's say it together. It's, it's complicated. complicated. It is, though. Alex is getting frustrated as Morgan sees T.I. wandering around Casey's apartment and asks to talk to Alex about it later, but she insists on talking about it now, and I was like, you know what, good for her. But yeah, I, I was impressed with her for making that decision. Morgan says that if that's the case, he needs Alex to leave. Alex thinks that this means that Morgan is breaking up with her and being a jackass. So she says, have fun playing Halo for the rest of your life and storms off. Yeah, good for her. She knows what she wants and she's not afraid to if she's if she's not getting it, if she's not getting the respect she deserves. She's not afraid to walk away. Oh, do you say that she's not getting the respect she deserves? Yeah. Because your you audio think I cut said? out. I just I, I just heard it's not like you said she's not getting the sex she deserves. She's just gonna <laughs> walk away, which I guess also fine. Yeah, I mean Morgan makes it clear that she has not spent the night yet, so she's not getting the love that she deserves. The sex. Which is clearly she John Casey's daughter, because she doesn't she does not suffer fools. No, absolutely. She may not. also have very large hands. Um <laughs> broad neck. <laughs> such a broad neck for a woman. Once Alex leaves, T.I. approaches Morgan and demands to know where Casey is. Morgan says that he doesn't know, and T.I. throws Morgan against the door and tells him that Packard has Chuck and Sarah, and that they're going to take them on a treasure hunt in the desert, and that Casey knows where they'll be. He then adds, if Casey doesn't show up to Iran and within 24 hours, they will kill Chuck and Sarah. This is another declassified scene, and it's going to get okay. weird, so I apologize. Um, I'm, but, I'm excited. Okay, so we're at the hospital where Ellie and Devin work. Ellie approaches sure. Devin and asks Devin why eight patients that she doesn't even know have congratulated her on having a daughter. Devin says, because it's awesome. And Ellie says that it's her pregnancy, but Devin corrects her and says it's their pregnancy. Ellie says that Devin's overdoing it again, and Devin apologizes. He asks her how she manages to look so good, even when she's so busy at work and pregnant, and then says that Ellie is like a Russian doll, a babe inside a babe. And Ellie says, okay, I like it. And walks away right as Devin's <laughs> phone rings. All right. Okay. Um, I see why they cut that, first of all. I I kind of like a babe inside a babe. But that you don't feel like that's weird, though? Because Devin, I think that's the weirdest part, that Devin is referring to his unborn daughter as a babe. Well, I don't, I feel like when he's, when it is in reference to his wife, it's like a hot woman. But when it's in reference to his baby, it's like, the like kind of like old English way of saying baby, like just like ah, the young babe. Okay. Maybe he's talking about the pig babe. That makes sense. My old no. cat babe. He's talking about all of those things. Yes, Ellie is pregnant with your old cat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be <laughs> nice. I mean, like it would be horrifying, but I would like to see my old cat again. Yeah, people really stopped. Uh, <sighs> they started tuning out of Chuck when one of the main characters gave birth to a cat. They were well, building didn't it up that, to... that happened on Angel. Someone gave birth to God, and then people were like weirded out by the show after that. Just, just you know, dropping my Angel knowledge here. So, don't if you're writing a show, don't have characters give birth to like non, not a like baby. They they should give birth to like their species. I guess we're saying. I was also thinking that if someone was like walking by them in the hospital and didn't know that they were husband and wife, I imagine they would probably be running to the HR department of this doctor <laughs> talking point. to another employee. Yeah. Saying that. 
No, I just, I think you're, you look, your, you know, your pregnancy looks really great on you. <laughs> I don't know how you look so good. Um, I'm going around telling everyone about your pregnancy. Oh, <laughs> uh, so all of this is to say is that Devin's phone rings and it turns out it's Morgan. He's calling Devin for advice, explaining that quote unquote, Jeff has couch lock. Devin is cool. Devin knows what couch lock is. Uh, he tells Morgan that he can revive Jeff by getting his heart rate up. And he can do this by either scaring him or making him angry. Morgan tries slapping Casey to like make him angry, but it doesn't really do anything uh, because Morgan says it's quote, like slapping a car. Um, which I thought was funny, specifically <laughs> yeah. a crown Vic, I would imagine. Yeah. Morgan decides that he's going to make Casey angry by doing the one thing that he knows will make him angry, which is talk to him about his relationship with Alex. Uh, so oh, no. Morgan kind of does a little speech and a fire ignites in Casey's eyes. Morgan says <laughs> that he's been a perfect gentleman, but thinks that they are getting close to a point where Alex would be spending the night soon. And this brings Casey back to life instantly. Casey grabs Morgan by the throat and raises him in the air <laughs> and declares that he like really high too, like very, way very above his high. Head. <laughs> yes. Um, he says that he's going to kill Morgan <laughs> um, before he drops Morgan to the floor. Morgan is glad to have Casey back and goes in for a hug, but Casey punches Morgan in the stomach. So I want to say I don't condone the idea that like a father has to be mad that his little girl is dating a man. But I did laugh hysterically during this whole scene. This is very well done. So it's kind of unclear. Either Casey overheard what T.I. said or Morgan explains it to him. Either way, Morgan and Casey are the only ones who can save Chuck and Sarah. They are the mission and they are going to Iran. Morgan wants to discuss his relationship with Alex further, but Casey doesn't want to talk about it. He says that Morgan will not be dating Alex. End of story. Morgan says, I'm a good guy. He says he thought that he and Casey were friends, but maybe Casey doesn't have any friends. In fact, the only people who showed up to his funeral are the ones who wanted to see him dead. This is taking things a little too far, and Morgan and Casey both know it, but Casey says they will not talk on the plane ride, and that gives them some time to cool down. Meanwhile, in Iran, Chuck and Sarah are being shackled up to a wall. Since they're locked up, Chuck takes the opportunity to ask Packard about a prisoner called Frost. Packard says that Frost is not a prisoner. She's their boss. And that's treated as a big revelation. Did Chuck think that she was a prisoner? I thought he was aware that she was working for Volkov. Yeah, I think he was. He wasn't really clear. I think he okay. wasn't sure what she was doing there. I yeah. Maybe if he worked for like the organization, I don't think he would have suspected her to be like, a leader or like a boss. That makes sense. Know? Yeah. Yeah. He was, I guess he was just unclear on who she was and why she was there. And I think that he thought that she was there against her will. And if she's a boss, maybe it is less likely that she's there against her will. I don't know why he's so bothered by this, but it is going to be a thread throughout the end of the episode. Maybe he's just really sexist and doesn't believe that women should be managers. So that's just... it. I think you cracked it. Chuck is Even a sexist. He works, that's. He works. <laughs> Beckman you, is his boss, but he doesn't agree with that. <laughs> That's why he's always so uncomfortable when he talks to her. Oh, that makes sense. Now we understand. Morgan and Casey arrive to the base. They tap into some kind of outdoor security system. They're like in the desert outside of this bunker, and there's just like a panel that they unlock and then start fiddling with wires. I don't really know what's going on, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Back inside, Chuck asks for more info on Agent Frost. 
He finds out that she's apparently Volkov's right hand and that when he has a problem, he sends her in to disappear, whatever that problem is. Chuck starts to think that maybe his mom is one of the bad guys. Outside, Casey gives Morgan a pair of rubber gloves so that he can hit one of the electrical switches at Casey's code word, Casey's code word being security. Morgan points out that the odds are not in Casey's favor because it's going to be three against one, but Casey says that's just the way I like it. We get one of those delightful take-out-all-of-your-weapons tropes when Casey walks in. He puts his two guns down, but then he starts pulling out knives and guns and grenades and everything from every which orifice of his body. That's a weird way of saying that. Um, just, you know, his pockets. Casey drops the code word, security, and Morgan flips the switch, but it doesn't work. I don't know if this is a electrical failing or a failing on Morgan's part of not remembering which switch is which. He tries again, but hits the wrong switch and water starts coming in. Then he finally flips the electric switch, but the lights don't go out. They just kind of start flickering, so it's, like, strobing. I don't I don't really know exactly what was happening here. But the bad guys win, they chain up Casey, and they use his hand to open the door to get the gold. How exciting for them. Casey threatens that he has a full team outside, but his former B-team seem to know that he might be bluffing. They point a gun into, like, an air shaft and shoot, and it somehow hits Morgan. Morgan, um, Casey says that his team will never surrender, and Morgan immediately shouts down, I surrender. Morgan enters the base, telling the bad guys that he came alone and no one else knows they're there. Casey rolls his eyes at this. Morgan does get a chance to redeem himself, though, when he notices both an exposed electrical wire and the pool of water still on the ground. I guess your declassified scene was setting this up, sort of. They didn't really need to set it up, but they did. Morgan tells Casey, Chuck, and Sarah to pull their feet up off the ground. He grabs the wire and drops it into the water, shocking the bad guys and himself. He passes out, but so do they, so it's great. Outside the base, Sarah, Casey, and Chuck bring Morgan back to life. Chuck points out that Morgan died for three seconds, but he's okay now, so it's fine. We go back to the Bymore, where Jeff and Lester approach Casey once again to tell them that now that they know that he's cool... They want him to know that they do installs like his all the time, and he's always welcome with them. Also, in the background during this scene, I saw Jesse Hyman, got really excited, don't know if you noticed him. He was there. I he missed was, him. He was assisting a customer. Morgan love comes him. over to check in. What did you say? I said I love him. Oh, okay. I, I thought you said alone. What did you say? And I was, <laughs> what did you say? You say like, I, I thought it was a... <laughs> A generally agreed upon opinion that we love Fernando. At we do. Hyman. We love Fernando. We love Jesse Hyman. That is not up for debate. Erin's eyes are bulging as she says that. She's fuming. It's, <laughs> it's much like when uh, Morgan told Casey that he was dating his daughter. When when Chris said, "I love Jesse Hyman," I just got I just got pissed. I know this is gonna. This is a callback to last week, but we actually just got word from NBC. We know what the slap season two is going to be about. Erin <laughs> driving to New York to slap me. Yeah, for saying that you love Jesse Hyman. Yeah, for saying something that I know is true for both of us. <laughs> Morgan comes over to Casey to check in and tell him that he doesn't have to worry about Morgan dating Alex because he's pretty sure things are over between them. He does invite Casey to some type of party that I was unclear if the party was a celebration of Casey or was just a party that Morgan was having. It appears to be spy-themed, whatever it is, based off of the stationery <laughs> that Morgan hands to Casey. Because it has, like, yes. I don't know if you kinda went like to, like... like a manila folder. Like, went to a party store and picked out, like, yeah. 
a boy's like a eight year old. Boy's uh, I miss I miss spy. those. I miss invitations. I saw them at Target the other day, and I was like, I should have a party and like send these. They're fun. Yeah, and it really gives the impression that this party is going to be a lot more of a shindig than what it actually ends up being. Yeah, what it actually is is just kind of the party that we always see, where it's like Ellie, <laughs> Devin, Sarah, Chuck, and that's it. Um, and Morgan, of course. Casey shows up wearing a button down and he looks like such a dad. Like he's he, I don't know. He is a dad, obviously, but he doesn't always look like a dad. And this was just like, I feel like my dad would wear this. I feel like if I saw a man on the street wearing this, I would be like, that's a dad. Yeah, you look but nice. He, he was looking good. It's just not we don't usually see him in like that kind of clothes. Alex shows up at the party, too. Morgan is a little taken aback by this because he thought they were broken up, but he does take the opportunity to apologize. Alex explains that Casey called her and told her what happened. He apparently told Alex that he refused to allow Morgan to date her and told Morgan to break up with her. But Morgan stood up for her and stood up for their relationship because he is brave. I also wrote down here that I like Morgan's shirt. I guess I liked a lot of shirts at this party. Everybody was looking good. I felt like Sarah was a little overdressed. She's wearing kind of like a um, strapless, like kind of like a dress that you would wear to like a like prom sort of she she looks a little overdressed but everybody else is looking good well maybe she got her invitation was like oh i think this is going to be like a fancy thing maybe i should dress up and That's then you true. arrive maybe and you're like shit sure. i'm overdressed oh yeah. Uh, yeah yep um morgan tells alex i don't care what your dad thinks i want to be with you provided that you want to be with me and i thought that was really nice it's a it's a good moment and then we pan back and we find out that alex is wearing a romper and like i respect her so much because this was 2010 and rompers were like not as much of a thing then, so, like, good for her. Morgan goes over to thank Casey, and Casey responds, You're welcome, but you break her heart, I break your everything. So, there's still a little bit of attention, but now Casey is on board with the relationship. Meanwhile, Sarah goes out to the courtyard to find Chuck in one of these typical scenes. He tells her that he thought his mom was a prisoner, but now he knows that she's a bad guy. He says, In order to find the one person who left me, I endangered the people who would never leave me. He says that he's going to stop looking for his mom. Sarah asks if he's sure, and he is. Sarah heads back inside, and Chuck's phone rings with an unknown number. He picks it up, and unsurprisingly, but also kind of surprisingly, it's his mom. She says, hello, Chuck, it's your mother. And that's how the episode ends. So he can't stop looking for her now. Funny how life works. He's going to be like, he's just like, I'm done. And then she just calls him for the first time. The second... He says, I'm done. I don't know if she was listening. We, I got a lot of questions about this. But that is Chuck versus the couch lock. She's like, yeah, I should, I should check in with my son that I haven't <laughs> yeah, talked to. Yeah, I haven't talked to him in, what, 10? Is it like 15 years or something? A question that I am interested of your opinion on. Obviously, the first couple, you know, I would say the first two seasons, um, kind of, there's a lot of discussion about Sarah being out of Chuck's league. I'm just wondering if you feel that Alex is considerably out of Morgan's league or if you feel that they're in the same league. I think the the show feels like it's kind of presenting them as in the same league. Like we're not getting a lot of the like when when Sarah was introduced, there was a lot of like hovering on her like, oh, she's so sexy. Like we're not getting a lot of that with Alex, although she is obviously a beautiful woman or <laughs> one beautiful woman, although she is obviously a beautiful woman we're not being treated like morgan's not really talking about how she's out of his league no other characters aren't surprised when they find out that he's dating her like it's just not really presented the same mm -hmm. way 
Which is not to say that they're presenting her like she is a nerd, but it's just, like, it's different than how other women have been presented. But I do feel like it's a little odd. Like, Anna was beautiful, too, but, like, they seem to be more on the same level just in, like, terms of personality. I don't really know a lot about Alex. Mm. I think that's the problem with her. Well, I think you just hit on something that was kind of interesting that... Alex seems to be like they're they haven't really objectified her yes. as they have other <laughs> characters in yeah. the past. It's actually surprising yeah. how little they've objectified her. It's great, yeah. but it's just very like kind of gives you pause where it's like, oh, you guys haven't done it. Not not at all. Like not even a yeah. little bit. Like, well, like why <laughs> do you think that she's not worthy of being objectified? Right. Which I don't know if that's a great question, but like I just thought like because I was when I was watching like this episode and last week's episode, I was like, Alex is a very beautiful woman. And that does, that's never really discussed by any of the characters. I don't know if it's the shadow of Casey or it's like, this is Casey's daughter. So you can't, but I was like, and then I was like, is she like considerably hotter than Morgan? I know Morgan's doing better this season than he has in previous seasons. It is just a little jarring and I'm interested to see how the relationship develops. I do remember that it happened, but I don't remember a lot about Mm -hmm. it. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if she gets objectified or if she gets, um, yeah, because it's just like she's not like presented as like a gamer or anything. She's just like a beautiful student who works at a diner and makes pie. Like, I don't know. So that there's that. So this next segment of our program here is where we take one part of this episode that we'd like to marry and one part of this episode that we'd like to kill. It's called Chuck, Mary, Kill. Aaron, what would you like to marry this week? So I have a dual marriage this nice. week. One is small. Uh-huh. I loved I loved the cat. The cat was a great actor. I wish we, uh, as usual, I wish we could have more information about the actor that portrayed the cat. Mm-hmm. What is the cat's name? What Pon- are its hobbies? Poncatty. Yes, right. Poncatty. Poncatsy. Um, it's not catty. Poncatsy, who lives in Pontoon. Yes, of course. Yes. Um, and then my other Mary, which I think this is a little unusual for me, is uh, Jeff and Lester. I thought that oh. they were really fun in this episode. I really liked. Um, I don't. I don't think that we mentioned it in our notes, but I really liked some of Jeff's one-liners when Lester talks about Casey's Navy Marine uniform, whatever military uniform he's wearing. Jeff says, "Oh, I've got one too," and that's just kind of like a throwaway <laughs> line. I thought it was really funny. And then when Morgan calls them to say that they should drop. Casey off at his apartment. Um, he tells them that he has a key under his mat, and they say it's okay. We've got keys already. And like it was, it was just funny. And I liked your um, declassified scene that you mentioned. I thought that was a nice addition. I just think that their vibe in this episode, as opposed to being like annoying or anything, was like just very funny. So there you go. Never thought I'd see the day when Aaron <laughs> would willingly marry Jeff and Lester, but. Both of them. Both yeah, of them. it's I think we're going to have a very interesting marriage. Yeah, I, I would say. And you can uh, see more about it on the uh, new show coming to E. It is called um, Jeff, Jeff's Jeffster and Aaron. Jeffster and Aaron. I think it's kind of in- Jeff, Jeff Starin. Jeff Starin. There you go. I think it's kind of endearing that you think that your weird relationship would be on the E channel. But I think we all know it would actually be on TLC. Yeah, that's a good point. It's the learning channel. You're going to learn about it. Um, This week, I would like to marry, um, I, I guess, another member of the cast. I thought that uh, Adam Baldwin did a really nice job this week. I don't know he did. how easy or difficult it is to act 
like you're paralyzed, but I think he really committed to it and he managed to express a lot with just his eyes. And um, when he was regaining his, his sensation and feeling like piece by piece um, mm-hmm. overall, I thought he, he did a really good job. And then obviously like um, he did a good job too dealing with John Casey's former foes from his past. And then mm-hmm. dealing with Morgan was funny when he picked him up. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed Casey and his, uh, his performer this week. Saying that I agree with you is going to um, come in contrast a little bit to my kill. This is just one aspect of Casey's performance that I did not like was just the Hillary Clinton dig I thought was upsetting in a way that I remembered long after the episode ended. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, kind of also stung uh, me a little yeah. bit, but yep. um, that was that was your kill. Yeah, it was my kill. Okay. So what what is your kill? Kind of the the idea that like Casey's old team now works for Volkov was it just I wasn't really clear what they do like and why yeah. they're involved. Um, yeah, and I felt like you could either have a this episode could have been about you know a Volkov centric episode where they're going after him and they, he happens to have this unrelated team, or it could be an episode about Casey's past and like dealing with these foes and the kind of unrelated treasure hunt. Um, uh-huh. which why didn't they just use all the C4 that they seemingly have to blow open the vault with gold in it? Why did they need Casey in his hand? Um, unclear. I don't know, but, um, yeah, the mechanics of this episode were a little confusing. Yeah. I just felt like it was kind of combining the, like, Oh, Casey's X like squadron now works for Volkov. Like just kind of felt easy. It does seem like whenever Casey has an X team or an X like <laughs> mentor or something, they happen to work for the big bad of the season. Right. Yeah. Either Fulcrum or the ring or whoever. Um, yeah. So I think it was kind of like, I understand that there's something to be said about like all roads lead to Volkov. This is kind of like yeah. nexus of crime, but I just feel like yeah. it was kind of silly in this, this context. That's fair. The next part of our show today is the scooter scale where we decide how many corn dogs we would like to rate this episode on a scale of zero to five corn dogs based on how uh, how strong we think this episode is. Aaron, how many corn dogs would you like to give this episode? So I'm going to give this episode a three. Mm-hmm. I think that there were parts that I really enjoyed. As I said, um, Casey or Morgan making his confession to Casey was very funny. Um, and I liked those elements, but I think that there was a lot of this episode that was just kind of underbaked to me. Um, Alex and Morgan's relationship outside of how it relates to Casey is still kind of a cipher for me. Um, and like you were just saying, a lot of the mechanics of what's going on with Casey's old team, how they related to Volkov, what they had to do with prison, what they've been up to, why they needed Casey to break into the vault, all of those things. I didn't really understand. The episode was fun enough that I wasn't too worried about it. It didn't detract from how much I enjoyed it. But I think I'm taking away points because it didn't really make sense. Um, But Jeff and Lester were fun. I enjoyed them. I really enjoyed the cat, as I mentioned. I really enjoyed Alex's romper. So it's kind of evens out to be a middle of the road for me. What about you? I'm also pretty middle of the road. I gave it a 3.5. Um, okay. I like this episode because I think it's interesting that Casey and Morgan kind of occupied the the A plot for someone. Yes. Like they were kind of the main focus, which I thought was kind of refreshing. 
um, mm-hmm. after all the kind of Chuck and Sarah stuff of the past few weeks. Yeah. And I thought it was just kind of interesting to see Chuck and Sarah in the, the B plot. Um, yeah. Overall, as I was watching it, I was like, this is definitely like, I'm going to forget most of this episode. This is a very forgettable <laughs> episode. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was enjoyable enough. Um, I kind of like the idea of the fake funeral um, and Morgan being a hero and finally getting to uh, kind of be with Alex um, and the paralyzed performance I thought was was interesting. So I thought it was like overall, I was like, yeah, this is, this is pretty good. It was a little different, you know, but I, I don't think it will stick with me. Yeah, I think it's totally fair. But something that will stick with you is uh, our lesson we do every week now. Uh, we we highlight what we learned this week. Aaron, what did you learn this week? I learned that if you say you're done doing something, it will immediately fall into your lap. So I'd like to uh, do a little experiment here and uh-huh. say I'm done trying to get more followers on Instagram. I'm done looking for a new job and I'm done trying to publish my writing. Wow, my phone is ringing. I have a thousand followers on Instagram. I've just been offered six new jobs and all of my writing is getting published. Even the ones that aren't done yet. (laughs) Amazing. I learned that it's still classy to hand out invitations to invite people to a gathering, even when that gathering is that same night and only consists of (laughs) your roommates and your neighbors who you see all the time and are in constant contact with. Um, So with that being said, Aaron, I actually have a little something here that I want to give you. Oh, great. Um, it's a, Wow, how exciting. Yeah, so it's just, um, you know, next week we're doing another episode to go check yourself. So I just, you know, would really love if you you showed up for that. This is a great invitation. Thank it's, you. It has like a little microphone on it. Yep, it's totally necessary. It is a podcast-themed yep. invitation. Podcast-themed invitation. You you didn't think that they exist, but they do. They Oh, they do. Um, so Chuck versus the couch lock. Man, couch lock. Am I right? I'm I'm gonna go get couch blocked right now. <laughs> Is that weird? That was that's what you learned from this episode. Did I use it correctly? You wanna What did you say? You wanna become so inebriated that you can't move after watching this episode? They really painted it in a negative light. I don't know. If, I, if uh my my husband's Jeff and Lester are gonna come over and they're gonna uh, give me a, a foot bath and a facial, so you know. It'll be fun. Well, look, this is our, our last episode before Halloween, believe it or not. Um, so I hope everyone has a safe, happy Halloween, whatever that looks like for you this year and this most unconventional of years. Sorry we didn't make this more spooky. I know we sometimes do Halloween episodes, but um, next year I will have completed reading Dune. So maybe I'll be in a sandworm costume. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll be I'll be the back of the sandworm for you. Chris. Thank you. Oh, you're the best. Um And also, shortly after Halloween, there's also an important event coming up. So I want to remind you that if you have not already, to make your plan to vote and to make sure that if you haven't already voted or are voting by mail, that uh, voting, you know, the election is on November 3rd. So make sure you have a plan to vote. And if you need help with that, you can go to IWillVote.com and check it out. It is very handy. Um, And with that being said, my name is Chris Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy and to vote. Voting is sexy. Voting is sexy. My name is Erin Arata, letting you know that anything is possible. One of the things that is possible is creating the state, the town, the country that you want to live in. And the first step to doing that is being active in politics. So please vote. It is an easy thing. It is the least you can do. There is more you can do. And we'll be happy to talk to you about it if you have any questions. But for now, 
Aaron Arada saying goodbye and also vote. It's an easy thing to do and it's a fun thing to do. I enjoy doing it. I always, yeah, it it's is. always fun. You know, it's it's someone people care about your opinion. And it's nice getting to share your opinion and filling in those bubbles feels good. And and don't take a picture of your ballot and post it online. Don't do that. You don't can do that. you can say who you voted for, but like don't take a picture of it because that's I don't know if in all states, but in some states that will discount your ballot. So just don't do it. Yep. And uh, if you're doing an absentee ballot, make sure that you uh, get it in the mail on time and uh, or just drop it off at a Dropbox or yet your local uh, election office, I suppose. So. If you're concerned about not getting a sticker when you do the um, mail-in ballot, don't worry. They will send you a sticker. Really? Well, they sent me a sticker. Oh, well, that might just be a California thing because I have never gotten a okay, sticker. Well, from... uh, all right. Well, I take it back. They might not send you a sticker, but you could just order one online. I got a sticker. It's really, if you, the sticker should be a huge incentive for you because you can make people feel bad. I know it's kind of different that we're not really in offices anymore, but... Well, that you can take a picture of. Just, like, post it. Po- go crazy. Yeah, but what I was going to say was that you can, like, I, I voted in basically what was a, like, minor municipal election, sort of, for the city. And I mm-hmm. had my sticker yep. and I wore it to the office and made everyone feel bad because they were like, I wasn't going to vote in this election. And I was like. Yeah, well, now you've got to do it. Now you feel bad because I got the sticker. So. So we've been go check yourself, letting you know, <laughs> vote. Vote. Go vote yourself. Don't vote for yourself. <laughs> vote for. uh I, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but you know the right choice. Vote well, for that know, one. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Until next week. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.